This morning we'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Lord, it was your will to save us through Jesus Christ, to redeem us, to make a people for yourself through Jesus. Lord, thank you for adopting us as sons and daughters in Jesus Christ. Lord, may that never grow cold to our souls, Lord. As we meditate on that truth this morning, Lord, may it grow our love for you. Lord, may this morning be all for your glory as we continue to worship you through the preaching of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, you may be seated. We're incredibly blessed at Tri-Cities. I was thinking as I was listening to Jeremy, just, and you're a gift to our church. I love you. Thankful for you. Oh, sweet. Um, really, like, it's so sweet to watch the people in the church grow. Um, I'm not just saying this because he's here. I think Jeremy's one of the best biblical counselors in our entire area. And just to watch him grow in that, he's always had a care and a love for the people he shepherds and the people he serves at the church. Uh, but just to watch you pursue that and to be able to build that out, it's a sweet gift. I want to take you back to something that you just sang. And I want you to think about it because sometimes I know how it is. We can just sing. Think about what you sang. Yet, not I, but through Christ in me. In Jesus, not you, in him. 
my only hope in Jesus. It's something we believe and cry out, and it's something we struggle to live out in the day-to-day. Amen? I, I think of ourselves like the example in Scripture, I believe, help my unbelief. Yet not I, but in Jesus. We're in our final week of this one really long Greek sentence that goes from verse 3 all the way through verse 14. We've been unpacking it, and if there's kind of a central theme I'd like you to get to set up our big truth, it's this. We aren't the subject. Oh man, we like to make ourselves the subject, but we're not. Our big truth is Jesus' followers are called according to his purpose. We are called, set apart in Jesus because of who he is. And that should encourage you. That should be incredibly encouraging to you. That you are in Christ because of who he is. See, Jesus is Lord. He is the great I am. He is supreme. He is the absolute authority. Apart from Jesus, there is nothing. And in him, there is all worth, all value, all purpose. In Jesus, there is life. All blessings in him. See, the problem is, left to ourselves, left to ourselves, we are separated from Jesus. We are enslaved to our sin. We are enemies of God. We are on the outside. And we have no right, no claim to the ultimate blessing that is in God. And yet, in his great love, according to his grace, while you and I were dead in our sin, doomed in the family of Adam, he chose to adopt you into his family. God, the one true sovereign God, chose to bless you in his son to give you every spiritual blessing in him. You did not choose it. You did not take it. You did not earn it. When the choice was made, you nor the creation around you was, but God. He chose to adopt you. He chose to call you out of your cursed family, out of the family of Adam, enslaved to sin, adopt you into his holy family, the family of God as a son. And now, in Jesus, you have been brought back into peace, into right fellowship with God. Your trespasses, your sins forgiven, no longer held to you by the riches of God's glorious grace, salvation in Jesus.
be encouraged. Because if in Jesus, if salvation is in him, if adopted into the family of God, you are now joint heirs with him. With the Son, who the Father has given all things into his hands. So you see, if in Jesus you have it all, you went from death and nothing to every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You have life. You've been blessed with everything. You have been blessed with Jesus. And so we continue just unpacking this reality and peeling back the layers of that. And so our first big idea is a little bit of a review back to the way we started in verse 3. Jesus' followers are blessed in Christ. And Paul's going to keep unpacking this, and in verse 11 he says this, In him, in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will. All right, now, quick aside, all right, just a quick aside. If you're really digging deep and you're studying along and you're in all those Ephesians resources that are available online, and I mean, you're really studying, you've probably recognized there's a pretty good Greek debate here in verse 11, and I want to frame it for just, it might only be 10 of you, but I want to make sure you understand something and you don't get, like, tripped up here, okay? So just... If you know, track with me. If you don't, just hang on, all right? Whether you land on we have obtained an inheritance or you read it as we are claimed by God as his portion, my advice, don't overthink it. Don't miss the main point that's clear. See, neither changes the reality of the greater point. God has chosen, called, you in himself as his portion for his glory. And likewise, you have been called in Jesus and have obtained an inheritance to the praise of his glorious grace. One, God has called you. Two, you have been called. In Jesus, you are God's portion for his glory. In Jesus, you are joint heirs obtaining every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. They are inseparable realities. They say the same thing. So with this in mind in verse 11, in Jesus, you have obtained an inheritance. And when we think of inheritance, just be real about it, we think of it associated with death. And here, in Jesus, specifically in his death and resurrection, we have an inheritance so great that it delivers every spiritual blessing, it brings life. And the point in verse 11 is less about the riches lavished upon us in this great blessing that is inherited, and it's more that the inheritance is secure. It's certain. Verse 14, it's guaranteed. You can count on it. So much so, in fact, that Paul says you have already 
obtained it. You have it. Even though you do not currently experience it in full. You have obtained it, and yet you have not fully experienced it. This explains statements like we just sang, that Jesus is our hope. Our lives built on him. And we'll see this hope build out more next week when we get to verse 18. Paul's going to write, you're enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. So is it obtained or not? Right? I mean, if you're tracking it, do we have it or not? Yes, it's yours. It is obtained. You have it. But no, you have not fully experienced it. And if you're like me, you kind of start going, okay, wait a minute. What's happening here? If I don't experience it, how do I know I have obtained it? Paul's helping us right here with something that we struggle with in our pride and in our sin. He is helping cast aside fear, doubt, pride. See, if we're honest about ourselves and be real, okay, every person in the room who's like, man, I can be a little anxious, I can worry, all of us, just be real for just a moment, we want control. You, you want control, you want certainty, you kind of want to be sovereign. What you really don't like so much is submission and trust. Think about it like a child as they're becoming a teenager. They're pushing back on their parent. Now, in this case, the parent just has a level of maybe worldly wisdom or whatever, trying to protect maybe their child or teach them in what they don't know or haven't experienced. But that kid, they want to make their own decision. I got this. They're they're resisting submission. They're resisting trust. And instead, they're reaching for control. They're reaching for a sense of certainty in their own experience. Be real. We do this. We want to control the circumstances that are around us. So if I don't experience it, That's a big hurdle for the way we think because it calls us to trust. It calls us to submission. But if I don't experience it, how do I know I have obtained it? You know, listen, because it, the inheritance, is in Jesus, not in you. That's what Paul's writing to us. You can know your inheritance is certain Because it is accomplished in Jesus, not you. You know because of who Jesus is. See, you're not the subject. It's not about you. It's about him. And he is the great I am who works all things according to the counsel of his will. It's about him. Now, I I mean, I remember a couple weeks ago, we've been in this section now for two weeks and in the beginning remember I laid out a bunch of puzzle pieces and we started in like Job and in Exodus and we went back and some of you guys were like listen we're supposed to be studying Ephesians you're over here talking about the burning bush and the great I am what are you doing 
Why are you there? Just as an aside, when your pastors stand in front of you, they're, they're not just Bible teachers. We're pastors. I've walked alongside of many of you for over a decade. I see you. Your tendencies, the strengths that God has given you, the weaknesses and strongholds and sin we fight through. Paul begins, blessed be God. You sang it. But we are so quick to lower him, to forget who he is. He is one, sovereign, the great I am. And we are so quick to raise ourselves to focus on ourselves, to start processing through our abilities, our feelings, our experiences. And if you are going to be encouraged, be encouraged because of who Jesus is, because of what he has accomplished. Hope and rest in him. Be humbled and be encouraged. God redeems by his glorious grace. In Jesus, your works need not speak for you. By grace, you have obtained what you didn't accomplish. How? Jesus accomplished it. And it is by grace that you will experience the fullness of the inheritance that is in him. Well, how? Because Jesus is sovereign. Because he is the great I am. Because he is God. And your salvation is in him. Your hope is in Jesus and Jesus alone. You have been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. See, our salvation, our hope, our life is in him, not 99% him and 1% you. It is fully in him. And so your trust is in him. Look where Paul's going to take this and just glance ahead into Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 4, but God, not you, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Did you catch that? Past, you have been. It is finished. Keep going. Verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The work is accomplished in Jesus. Your inheritance, it is declared. Your presence with God is inevitable. 
Because where Jesus is, you are. By the one who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So let's keep going, verse 12, and see where Paul's taking this. Back to Ephesians 1. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. I'm going to keep reading in verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Next big idea, Jesus' followers are united in Christ. Last week we saw this in verse 10. God's plan is to unite all things in him, in Jesus. Jesus is your identity, not in part, but in full. You are either in Christ or you are condemned in the family of Adam. And so here in verses 12 through 14, Paul begins unpacking the implications of what it means to be one, united in Christ. And so watch it. In verse 12, he says, we, Paul's writing, he says, we who were the first to hope in Christ to the praise of his glory. So there's a group of people here he's talking about. And he says, we, first to hope in Christ to the praise of his glory. Then in verse 13, he goes, and you also who believed we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, he says, we, right, first, you, and then he says, also sealed with the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 14, he brings it back together, and he says, until we all acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So, Contextually, it's pretty clear. Paul is writing about the Jewish people who are the first to be chosen by God, to God to reveal himself to his people, to have believed in him. And the Gentiles, the second group of people who come later, like you and me, who believe in who God has revealed himself to be. And Paul's point is the end is the same. We, who went first to the praise of his glory, and you also, who came second, when you believed, were sealed with the Holy Spirit, just like we were. And we all, in the end, acquire possession of the inheritance that is in Jesus, to the praise of his glory. So, Again, just see the outcome. First, we are all united in Christ. I read this to you last week. I'll read it to you again. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. All united in him. No distinction. One. Notice the second thing. We all acquire possession of the inheritance. 
There's a great parallel in Scripture here, that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And when I was young, I used to think that, like, very linear. So there's a line, and, like, I didn't want to be at the front of the line because that meant, like, I'd be last. And, like, should I try to be in the back of the line so I get to go first? Or would it be better just to be in the middle so you're kind of in the middle? Like, I mean, it was broken, but that's what I was thinking through. Here's the point. There is no first. There is no last. You are in Christ Jesus. Your hope is in him alone. There is life in him. You're not adding to or taking away. It's incredible. So let's, let's keep going. Verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed him in him. Next big idea, Jesus' followers are sealed with the Holy Spirit. When you heard and believed. I mean, that's a pretty good summary of conversion that's here. I don't want you to miss that. They heard who God is and what he has done. And they believed. He is God. I am sinful. By his grace, there is life in him. Death left the self, life in him. And to these who have been called, who are in him through faith, verse 13, they are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Sealed. Now, we don't quite do this as much anymore, but the idea is that like the king seals and it reflects the authority of the king. There is a stamped authority, a stamped seal, and it represents the the authority of the sealer. So we kind of do this casually in our culture all the time when we, when we like sign our signature, right? You sign your signature on something and you're giving like this sense of, go back one more, I want to show you something, go back one more. Well, you can leave it there, just go back, it's okay, it's okay, go back. I, I asked the guys, I said, hey, will you do me a favor, will you like sign something for me? I just asked some pastors and Two of them came back like this, all right? And I just want to show you this. That top one is Wes. That's, that's Pastor Wes. His name is Wes Tucker. I have no idea what that is, right? And I'm like, if, I, if he wouldn't have sent it to me, I wouldn't have known. But at least I feel like I can make out a W. Now look at the one below it. Now that's kind of what it looks like when I sign my receipts at a store, right? That's it. All right, let you get your guess. That's Pastor Jeremy. What are you doing? <laughs> so th- there was one from Austin, and you could actually read his name. And I was thinking, that makes sense because you're a kid's pastor, right? Like, but Jeremy, Jeremy wouldn't pass kindergarten. <laughs> it blows my mind. Anyway. As, as messed up as this is, and we all sign our name, it's a really casual way of doing this, but here's what's happening. Regardless of what it looks like, it's your mark. You're giving your authority, your representation to that thing as you sign it. Here, in Christ, Paul is saying we bear the mark of God. We are sealed. We are sealed, not with a stamp and wax, 
not with a signature, we are sealed with the very presence of God in his spirit. You say, where do you get the presence piece? Uh, It's throughout scripture and the understanding of the spirit and what that means and what it brings. But I, I think just as a parallel example, consider what Paul's writing to the first Corinthians and, or to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, he begins unpacking this and he's just told them in the previous verses to flee sexual sin. Turn from it. And his argument that he's going to make is the same as he's making here as he builds it out to the Ephesians. It's simply this. Don't sin. Walk according to your calling in Christ, marked by the presence of the Holy Spirit within you. Listen to it. Verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. See, the temple houses God's spirit in the Old Testament. It's his presence for Israel. And Paul's making the point that God's spirit is not in a church, it's not in a temple, it is in you. Therefore, live like it and aim for his glory. And Paul will get on to this point, this charge with the Ephesians, and he will get into chapter 4, and he will say, walk then according to your calling. But here, he's encouraging them, and he's asking them to consider what God's presence means. And so it's sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You see our big idea, Jesus followers are secure in Christ. Secure in Christ. It's guaranteed. Now this idea of guarantee, like we just kind of hold it as something that's certain, but in its kind of original meaning, it, it held an exchange usually. It was this idea that you hold this until you take possession of the thing. So you hold on to this until you take possession. So literally, the Holy Spirit, God's presence, guarantees our inheritance until we acquire the full experience of it. Until he glorifies us, conforming us into what he has declared us to be. Until then, the Holy Spirit is our helper. He is with us. He is our guarantee that we are in Christ Jesus. You say, wait a minute. How do we we know he's with us? How, how, How would we know if the Holy Spirit 
is indwelling us. And I'll just give you a little bit of a warning. This question has led to a lot of compromise. Because the truth is, these questions, they're searching and seeking for you to be the authority. For you to have the control. For you to be the one who's certain. And that cannot be until every knee bows and tongue confesses. See, not only did we go back to Exodus and where we reminded that Jesus is the great I am, but we also looked at conversion and what it means to have authentic faith, to truly cry out and say, you are God. Death to self, life in Jesus. I am lost and doomed in the family of Adam with no hope. My only certainty is death. But in you, there is everything. There is life. There is hope. And so now consider this passage here in Ephesians 1 and this understanding of conversion to be called into Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Do you catch that? Paul's going to build to this. He's going to make it so clear in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of work, so that no one may boast. It's faith. And you can't bypass faith that cries out by the very revealed authority and power of the Spirit to reveal the one true Son of God who gave his life for you. So that in his death and his resurrection, you might have his life. Let me just try to give you an illustration to help you see it. It's around 2000, and um, I'm a student pastor. And I met this kid. He, he showed up, walked in on a Wednesday night, first time he'd ever been at our church. We'll call his name John. And um, he was carrying a book bag. He brought his book bag to like church. And I thought that was kind of odd. I mean, if you bring your book bag to church, that's fine. But I, at that time, I kind of thought, that's weird. This doesn't happen all the time. And you could tell John probably wasn't like the coolest kid. There were things about John that were just socially awkward and just off a little bit. And uh, there was this great youth leader. And uh, in youth ministry, there, there are people I call lifers. There's some of those in kids or in preschool, and they're just there, and they're, they're not just there because their kids are there. It is a ministry, and they serve the body and the people well in those areas, and they're just there. And this guy, this leader, was one of those lifers, and just a great blessing, had been serving in that church for decades. And he walks over to me and goes, hey, you see this John kid? He's kind of odd, isn't he? I said, a little bit. <laughs> He's like, have you talked to him? I was like, no. He's like, 
First, first, first question, why's he got that book bag? I don't know. So obviously don't say anything to him about his book bag the first week. He kind of goes, he quietly does his thing. Again, a little reserve, a little shy, a little awkward. Follow up through, with him through the week, whatever. Next Wednesday, he's back. He comes back. Guess what he's got? Same book bag. I ask him, I say, hey, what's with the book bag? You, want, you, mean, you can leave it in here. No, I like to keep it with me. Okay, you can. That's fine. You sure you don't want to leave it? Yeah. This kind of happens for about a month, maybe two. And I start realizing other kids are like, what's with the book bag? And he always kind of deflected, but it made him uneasy. And as I watched it play out more and more, I realized there's a thing to this. There's something here. Something I don't quite get. And his parents weren't believers. They weren't connected. He came in almost like on a, like a bus ministry kind of a thing. And so started asking around. And we found out that John, when he was about in second grade, his brother was in kindergarten, his dad got drunk, drove them hours into the woods, walked them out in the woods, and left them. And you know what John had in his book bag? Survival supplies. He's a freshman in high school. So I tell that leader, and that leader, he's a really wealthy, successful business guy, and he's like, man, we're going to help him. I said, yeah, we are. How are we going to help? I was like, I don't know. We'll figure it out. And so the next week, we just said, hey, I got an idea for you. What if I give you $500, and you can hold it, and that way if you need something, you can go buy whatever you want, and we'll just leave your book bag in my car, and then we'll exchange back afterwards. He's like, I don't know. He's like, what if I need something? And the leader says, listen, John, your face always going to be in something. What if I give you my phone, too? So you got money and a phone. And by the way, this is 2000, so there aren't phones everywhere, right? It's, it's kind of a different day. I'm old, I know. And um, he said, no. The next week, John comes back again. Same deal. I'll give you 500 bucks in my phone. You can leave your book bag in my trunk. And if you want, I'll even give you the keys to the car so you can go back and get the trunk. So I says, I don't know. What if I need it? Leader says, you got to have faith in something. Why not this? And John says, okay. And for like the next several months, every time John would come to the student ministry, a leader would give him 500 bucks in his phone. <laughs> One day, John shows up, and he doesn't have his book back. He didn't bring it. Wasn't even there. And I get the story from the leader who comes back and he's got tears running down the side of his face. He says, I asked John why he didn't bring his book back. And he says, your faith has got to be in something and my faith is in Jesus. I don't know what your anxiety is. I know for John, that was death to self.
hope is only in Jesus. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Where by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are secure. Not because of who you are, but because of who he is. Death to self, life to Jesus. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and just go to a time of response and prayer. And as you do, I want to just ask you some questions and summarize this great sentence. And again, just in a tone of prayer, setting aside distraction, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Paul says in verse 3, He is our Lord, who works all things according to the counsel of His will. In verse 11, He is the great I Am. He is God. He is sovereign. What has He done? love he predestined us for adoption to himself in verse 5 redeeming us through his blood verse 6 according to the riches of his grace verse 7 what has he done he gave his life so that through faith in him we might be adopted into his family, joint heirs with him. How do we, the called, respond? How do those in Christ Jesus respond? We receive the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and we believe in him, verse 13. We hope in Christ to the praise of his glory, verse 12, until we acquire possession of our inheritance in him, verse 14. How do the called respond in faith? all things in him to the praise of his glorious grace. Church, if you're here, you are in Christ Jesus, not by your work or your effort, but by his glorious grace. Jesus has accomplished your redemption 
through the blood of his cross, through his life given that you might have life. He has redeemed you. He has called you. Live according to your calling. And perhaps you're here in this morning. You're not in Jesus. You are still separated from him in your sin. My prayer for you is that through the power of his spirit, he would make known to you his love. He took your death so that you could have life in him. And in just a minute, as we sing right out these doors to the left, there's an area called the hub. There are counselors there who would love to talk more to you about it. And I would just encourage you.